I'll tell you what, I'm sitting there listening to that song, and the only person I can think about is Rosalie Kennedy. Some of you have no clue who that is, but if, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here today. That was my grandma. And uh, she didn't sing that song. She yelled it. She, she didn't sing much of anything. She always yelled what, what she said. You didn't have any trouble hearing it. And I think that's part of where I come from. You never hardly have any trouble hearing me either. Uh, but the Bible doesn't say that you should sing good. It just says that you should make a joyful noise. And she believed in the noise part. And uh, so that's what she, she made noises. But, you know, what a, what a good song, huh? That old, that old songwriter, thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. You gave me your love, Lord, and a fine family. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. Those songs, they, they never grow old. They never grow old. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like for you to turn with me to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in the uh, Gospel of John today, chapter 10. I'll actually be in a, a, a quite a few places, so if you'd like to turn to John chapter 10 right off the bat and then kind of hold a finger there and then flip over to another scripture, we're going to go over to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, because we've been in a series of messages that I, uh, I just, I gave it a name, E3, uh, e, e just being the, the letter that all the words start with, and there's three of them, exalt, equip, and evangelize, because this is basically uh, the philosophy of what New Life Church believes, and, and the way that we believe uh, we show our presence in our community, and if you've missed uh, the, the first three messages that I've spoken to you about, uh, they were all on the word exalt, and we talked about who we exalt, why we exalt, and we. And last week we spoke about the dangers of exalting I, or the dangers of exalting ourselves and lifting ourselves up. Today, <clears throat> we're going to shift gears and we're going to move over into that second word, equip. And today is kind of a little different. Uh, because uh, it, when, you, when you think about the way that I'm going to preach this message or the things that I'm going to share with you, it may not seem like I'm headed in the same direction that I've been uh, this entire time, but you'll find at the end of the message that I actually am. So if it seems like I'm running around in a circle, that's probably just my ADHD or my dyslexia or something like that that they, I found out when I was 30 years old that, that I think I might have some of that stuff. But then I heard Dennis Swanberg, he said, if you suffer with that stuff, just keep hitting the button on the remote. He said, you'll come back around to that channel in a minute. So if you think that that's where I'm at, just I'm going to keep hitting the button and I'm going to get around back to it. So I want to talk to you about, about equip, about what the word equip means. Uh, and, and the word equip is, uh, it, it seems like a simple word, and, and it is a simple word, but there's a lot piled into this. Uh, whenever we, when we think about this word and we, we think about what equipping is, immediately a, an old proverb came to my mind. Uh, there's this old proverb that says this, and I quote, God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. Right? You, many of you guys have heard that before. And that's, that's an old saying that refers to the people that God has called into the ministry. And normally, when we think about those that God has called to the ministry, we automatically think about preachers or teachers or evangelists or people like that. When we think about those who have been called into the ministry. Now, I want to help you see that God has not limited His call to preachers, teachers, those types of people. He, God is not limited in what 
what He calls or who He calls. He's not limited in those things. He calls many, many people. And I want you to know today that God has a calling on your life as well. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came into this world to seek and save those who were lost. Does anybody fall into that category? And if you would be honest with yourself, you would know that you fall into the category of being lost. But the Bible tells us that all of those who are lost will not be found because everybody is not going to accept the calling that God has on their life. Now, in Matthew chapter 16, I'm not going to go over there because I talked to you about it a few weeks ago. We read the first time in the Bible that the word church is actually used. That word is ecclesia. The word ecclesia is defined as those who have been called out. The called out ones. Called out of what? Called out of one place into something else. I want to just give you two examples of people who were called out. Some of you know of the man Paul in the Bible who was once Saul. He he was someone who was called out. He was a man who lived a life. His mission was to oppose the will of God in every way possible. Now, he did not intentionally oppose the will of God. And this is, there's, there's a big study that you could study about with this. Paul did not intentionally oppose the will of God. He was religiously sound in everything that he did. But religion doesn't save you. Paul was working by religion, and according to the religious law of that day that the Pharisees had instilled, they were saying that there were certain things that you could and could not do. They added those clauses to God's law, and they made it their own. And Paul was a part of that, or Saul at the time. He was a part of that. And so he was implementing this law or enforcing this law, and people were dying. Christians were dying because anyone who claimed to know Jesus or lived their life for Jesus, they were killed because they did not agree with the Roman law at that time or the, the, the commandments that they had, had derived for themselves, if you will. I don't have time to go into all that, but you have to understand that Paul, Saul, Paul, had a calling on his life, did he not? Because on the road to Damascus that day, he heard the call. Jesus Christ spoke to him. He saw a bright light, and he said, Saul, why do you keep kicking against the goads or against the pricks? In other words, the stick that the, that the farmer or the cattle, or, uh, the cattle guy would use to get his cows or his sheep moving in the right direction... They would keep kicking against that. And whenever they would kick against a sharp stick, what would happen? It would poke them and it would hurt them. And, and Jesus said to Paul, why do you keep kicking against the stick I'm using to try to prog you in the right way? Quit kicking it, Paul, and you'll quit bleeding. And Paul says, okay. His name goes from Saul to Paul, and, and Paul became an apostle of Christ who literally helped change the world. Would you agree that there was a calling on Paul's life? Absolutely. Now let's move to another one. Let's talk about Lazarus for a minute. Was there a calling on Lazarus' life? There was a call on Lazarus' death. <laughs> was it not? If you go over there, and you don't have to turn over there, but it, it's found over there in the book of John, chapter 11, if you want to go and read it. Somewhere, I think it some, starts somewhere around verse 38, John eleven thirty-eight. 38. 
There was a call from Jesus to Lazarus. Now, this calling was different than Paul's calling, wasn't it? Lazarus was dead, been dead four days, uh, and there was a reason that, that Jesus waited four days. Some of you may not know, but there's a, back then, they had a belief, and it was kind of one of these uh, old, old wives' tales, if you would, so to speak. They believed that for three days after a person died, that their spirit remained with them. So Jesus waited for, for four days so that there could be absolutely no doubt that a miracle took place because that he done it in the time period before that they would have just said see there our our uh our ideas or our our uh what what's the word that i'm looking for uh what is it superstitions that our superstitions are right and that and that we we had this right all along so jesus waited so that there could be no coincidence at all and this is the most famous scripture in the bible i think lord he stinketh right what they said. He's, he's been dead four days. He stinks. And, and, and so Jesus waits and Jesus calls and he says Lazarus' name and he speaks to Lazarus and Lazarus comes out of the grave. Is there any coincidence or, or any reason that Jesus spoke Lazarus' name? If he hadn't, I mean, the, you have to understand now, if you go over into, if you go to Matthew chapter 28 and you read, Jesus said, all authority has been given on me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Had Jesus just walked up there to a tomb and said, hey, come on out of here. Everybody from way back when would have started coming up, started coming out. So Jesus specifically says, Lazarus. You know, do y'all know where Lazarus was? He, he, was, watching, he was watching Elijah run that, run that fiery chariot like a NASCAR in heaven. He's up there checking this stuff out. He's, he's talking to David, and he's talking to Moses, and he's talking to... And then he hears a voice pierce through all eternity, calls his name. Do you think he was excited to hear Jesus call his name? I don't. Out of all the other times, if you hear Jesus say your name, you're like, yes, Lord. Lazarus is like, find somebody else to bother Jesus. And I'm not trying to stay that, say that heretically or, or blasphemous. He, this man was in a place he didn't want to leave. You know what I mean? This guy, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present, present with the Lord. He was in the presence of God. And he had to come back. He didn't like it. I don't believe he liked it. I know I wouldn't have liked it. I wouldn't have wanted to come back. And Jesus called him. It was a calling on his life. So, you know, the cool thing about it is that one day Lazarus is going to be able to tell us what he was really doing. He's going to be able to tell us. There's a call in the Bible, and this is where I want you to look with me in John chapter 10, 27. Jesus describes himself as a shepherd, as a shepherd. And he says this, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Did you know that whenever there's a shepherd who has a flock of sheep, that any other man other than their shepherd, any other woman other than their shepherd, any other child other than their shepherd comes up, can be holding a bucket of feed, can rattle that bucket, do whatever, but if they have been trained on the voice of their shepherd, they will not come. I don't care. That's why Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The shepherd calls his sheep and they recognize who he is. The point that I want to make to you is that if you do not hear the shepherd's voice, 
Maybe you're not one of his sheep. Alright? So, let that ring in your ear today. If you do not hear the shepherd's voice, maybe you aren't one of his sheep. The first call that any of us have to answer in our life is the call of the shepherd. That is the first call that you have to answer. If you do not hear the voice of the shepherd calling you into salvation, you can never hear any other call that is called. You have to be able to be willing to say, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You understand? Yes, Lord. We say all the time, make Jesus Lord. You can't make Jesus Lord. He's already Lord. You have to accept Him as Lord. You understand what I'm saying? You, you can't turn Him into that. He's already that. All authority, He said, has been given to me. All authority. He is Lord. You just have to recognize Him and accept Him as that. We must be clear on this matter today. Because if, if you're not clear on what I just said to you, Anything else that I say from this point forward will be just like uh, Charlie Brown's teacher, want, 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 want. You're not going to hear anything else that I say. So you have to understand that if you, if you have not answered the call, the initial call to salvation, everything that I'm telling you today is like Greek to you. Okay? It's like Greek. We have to be clear on this matter because there are too many people today who are, who are in the church, who call themselves pastors of churches that really are not pastors. We have to understand that for me to be able to get to you the point that I want to talk to you about today, I had to title the message, The Equipper. We're talking about being equipped. But how can you be equipped if there is no equipper? There has to be someone who has the goods to be able to give you what you need. There are those people out there in the world today that call themselves the equippers. They call themselves pastors. They call themselves leaders. There were those who, who thought of themselves as religious, religious leaders in their day who were not true equippers of the saints. They were not true equippers of those in the church. They were called Pharisees, and these people took it upon themselves to add to the law of God, to take away from the law of God, to place demands on people that were not commanded nor were they required of God and there are still people in the world today in the church who still consider themselves to be equippers and they are not and when I'm done today you'll be able to walk away from this church and you'll be able to clarify in your mind whether I am or I am not and let me just go ahead and put this out there if at the end of this message you find it in your mind that Brother Joey is not an equipper. I would encourage you to never come back to New Life Church. That's how much I believe in what I'm fixing to preach to you today. That you, you don't have enough time in your life to be wasting on somebody who's going to tickle your feet and candy coat the gospel. You do not have time to sit around Looking for somebody who's just going to make you feel good Sunday after Sunday. It's like I've told you before. I, I'm not worried. Used to be I, I was concerned about how, how fast we were growing and how many people were coming into the church. And I'm just to the point today that 
I'm not interested in that anymore. Yeah, it encourages me to see the church growing and people in the church. But I'm not as concerned about that anymore as I am about the fact that you need to know what God's Word says today. All right? So, at the end of all this, if you cannot honestly say that Brother Joey is an equipper of the church, don't come back. Go somewhere else. And if any of you that are on the board, our elders, if you feel that way, you need to get rid of me and you need to find another pastor. That's how much I believe this. Jesus said these religious leaders have made the commandments of God to be no effect. They have taken what God first ordained to us and they have watered them down, washed them down, sanded them, smoothed them over, made them in such a way that they are no longer effective in the life of people. But you know, whenever you take God's command and you don't water it down, you don't sand it off, you let it go in and come out and you let the Word of God leave splinters in your hand because it is rough, it is sharp, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. You don't water it down, you leave it like it is. Do you know what it does to people? It changes them. But, but Jesus said that these religious leaders, these who called themselves equippers of the church, they had watered it down so much that it was no longer effective in the lives of the people. Look with me in Matthew 15, verse number 5. Jesus speaking, and He said, You say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it, Thus you nullify the Word of God for the sake of your what? Your tradition. You take the Word of God and you change it and you warp it and you sand it down, you smooth it off because you want your traditions more than you want God to move. And when we are a church that wants our traditions more than we want God, we need to bar the doors shut because we are wasting our time. And we are sending people to hell. Verse 7. Look at what Jesus said to them. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips. In other words, they just run their mouth. But their hearts are far from me. They worship me with va- in vain. And their teachings are merely human rules. The doctrines of men. They're just rules that that you've made up. And these rules that you've made up have watered down the commandment of God. And they're now no effect to anybody. No wonder people are going in and out of the churches and they're never changed. There always seems to be those who put themselves in positions of leadership or authority within the church who don't qualify for the position. Sadly enough, the position of the pastor has been hijacked for people who call themselves pastors. And I don't have time to go into it now, but I, I, I can, I, if I had the time, I could show you, I could prove to you that many of the pastors who are in the great big mega churches today, they are not pastors, they are merely entrepreneurs. It's, and I know, I know church, in a, in a sense, there is business to the church. But whenever you run it in there to where it's like cattle, running people in, running people out, just so that you can get the numbers up, you have become an entrepreneur more than you've become a pastor. 
Because most of the time, like I said, if I had the time to tell you, whenever the church wants to get a hold of this person, after they've preached, they're no, they're no longer available. And you cannot be a pastor or an equipper of a church if you aren't available to the people. You just can't do it. Now, I understand, whenever, just, just think about here with us. If there's three or 400 people, all of you know that I can't be with all of you all the time. You understand that. But you have to understand that there's a time and a place when you need your pastor to be there, right? Whenever you need a, a leader of the church, an elder of the church, a deacon of the church, somebody who has taken on the role of the position of leader in the church, when you need them there by you. Just, this is just a, 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 an excerpt, okay? Putting it on Facebook doesn't mean that I know. So if you just stick it out there on Facebook and you never let anybody know about it, don't expect us to know. Because believe it or not, all of us don't live in Facebook. You have to let somebody know. Now, as we move along, all, all that was the introduction, okay? I'm going to start preaching to you now. So all of that, as we transition into this series, this E3 series, Exalt, Equip, Evangelize, I want to move to the word equip. However, I don't want to talk about being equipped. I don't want to talk about you as the church being equipped. That's going to come next week. I want to speak to those, uh, uh, speak to about myself. I want, to, I want to tell you about me as a pastor. And, and I want to talk to you about those who have answered not only the call to salvation, which I said is the initial call. I want to talk to you about those who have answered the other call on their life. Because all of us, the Bible has a calling out there for all of us to come to the Lord Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. The Bible says that everyone has been lost. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that means that Jesus came not to just save an elect few. Not just an elect few. He came to save everybody. But the fact of the matter is, is that everybody won't be saved. Because they won't all accept Him. Okay? So, here we go. Ephesians chapter 4. Hang on, because there is a lot that I'm fixing to read to you. I don't simply want to talk to you again about your spot in the equipped scenario, but what about my spot in, as being an equipper? But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, you're going to find where the Bible says, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7 is where I'll start. Now, Every time that I've ever read this verse of Scripture, these passages of Scripture, I've, 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 I've kind of gotten in my Bible, and, I, and I, I wrote in my Bible, God's gift to the church. God's gift to the church. Because when it says that grace has been given as a gift, Christ gave that to the church. And so he goes in verse number 8, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? It means that, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fulfill, to fill the whole universe. Verse number 11. So Christ himself, look what he gave. When somebody gives you something, it is a gift. Am I right? Look at what Christ gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists and pastor, the pastors and the teachers. Now, I want you to look at how this is written. It says, He gave the apostles. He gave the prophets. He gave the 
evangelists. He gave the pastors and teachers. The only place in this where two words are connected by the word and is pastors, teachers. So whenever I refer to pastor, teacher, that is one. That is one one thing that comes together there, okay? One thing that he put together there. Now, he says this in the scripture. He gave pastors and he gave teachers. Amen? So he, uh, pastor, teacher, verse 12, to do something, equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then... I like the word then because it breaks it all up. It says all this stuff over here. You're going to do all this stuff over here. Then, now then means that something's going to come out of it. After you have done this, something's going to change. After you've become mature and you've grown, then we will no longer be infants griping, bickering, whining because you don't get your way, not paying attention whenever the pastor's trying to teach you on your phone while you're supposed to be listening. That's what babes do. Infants. Immature Christians. You with me? I like to read behind the word. That's that's what this means. Tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. Instead, rather than being infants, there's the word instead, right? Instead of doing that, you're going to speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head. And who is the head? I think we cleared that a couple of weeks ago. The head is Christ. 16, from Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I have always titled this, The gift, God's gift to the church. In the scripture, Paul tells us that the gifts were given to certain men through the grace of God. Verse 11 says, He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. So these are gifts or abilities that God has given some. There's a reason He didn't give them all. He didn't give it to every one of us. Do you know why? Because if we had a whole bunch of chiefs, And no Indians, we'd never get anything done, right? So God has selected people to call them to a deeper walk with Him so that He can give them things so that the church can have. Now, I understand the Scripture says that these gifts are given to certain people, but you've heard me say that this is God's gift to the church. Why is that? Look at what Paul said. He said that He gave this to prepare or equip the people, to equip them for the work of the service. Now, the gifts of the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, they've been given to certain individuals as a way for God to bless the church. Think about it this way. What is a conduit? A piece, there's conduit all through this ceiling where wires are run through conduit. Uh, an electrician, he would, he would bend out a piece of conduit, run it through there so that he could go back to the beginning of the conduit, push a piece of wire through so that the wire would come out where he wanted it to go. A conduit is also considered a piece of pipe that a plumber would put under the ground to get water from one place to the other without it spilling all over the floor, right? You understand what a conduit is. I want you to think this morning about those who have been placed in a leadership 
leadership position in the church, as much as those who preach and teach, these are the conduit that God uses to get the Word of God from the throne room to your seat. You follow what I'm saying? So it's God speaking through His Holy Word, us interpreting it in such a way that you can understand it, and we are the conduit that God pushes the Word through so that you can receive it. Would you say that that is a gift from God? It is a gift from God. Because let's just be frank about it. There's a bunch of you that would never get anything from God had you not come and heard the preacher preach it. You would never engage yourself in listening to God or getting into His Word. You might be so distracted because, let's just face it, you're busy. And the world's busyness will pull you away from hearing from God. But whenever you have a pastor and his position, his job, so to speak, is to be with God so that he can understand the word, interpret the word, because he knows that he is going to stand before a group of people who will otherwise suffer and perish in hell if they do not accept Jesus Christ. And whenever that person is passionate about telling somebody else about Jesus Christ, you know what that person's going to going to do. They are going to study. They are going to pray. They are going to cry over you. Their hearts are going to break because they love you. That is a conduit that God will use to help change your life. The word equip means that we supply necessary items for a particular purpose it means to prepare something or, or someone for a, a particular situation. Think of it like a coach who equips their player for whatever job they're going to do, whatever sport they're going to play. So that, that coach pours into that athlete. So that that athlete can do what? Compete and win. What does a piano teacher do? That piano teacher pours into her student or his student. And that piano teacher is trying to give them the skills that they need to read another language. Music is another language, and they teach them to read that language so that their fingers will know what keys to touch. They equip them. The teacher, the coach, the mentor prepares their student for whatever their challenge will be. But what is the equipper of the church? What responsibility have they been given? Verse 12 says, to equip the people for the works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. As the coach and the teacher equip their students for certain positions, so should leaders of the church equip the people of the church. And the purpose of a trained athlete is to compete and win at their particular sports. The purpose of the church is to change the world by sharing Jesus with a bunch of people who do not know Him. The people that have not answered the call of Christ. And that is the position and the purpose of the church. And if we, as New Life Church in Bastrop, Louisiana, are not doing that, why do we exist? We, a lot of people, it's easy to be Christians on Sunday morning. It's easy. But whenever you have been equipped and you have been told that, yes, it is possible to share your testimony. It is possible for you to live your life in such a way that's pleasing to God. It goes on outside the church. And when it goes on outside the church, other people see it, other people notice it, and other people's lives are changed. And you know how the kingdom grows? One soul at a time. 
As the, as the pastor serves the church through teaching and caring for the people, he works in order to build up the church so the body grows and reaches maturity. This maturity is something that happens over time. Do our children just all of a sudden, do they, do they come out of the womb and they're born and they're up running and they're going and they're feeding themselves and you don't have to change any diapers? No, it takes time because they are babes. And so we have to be there as mature parents to help train them and teach them. Of course, we know that it takes time, and the maturity of the church is no different. Whenever babes come into the church, that's why there are problems in the church, because there are people who aren't mature in the church. They're still acting like infants. And do you know what infants do? Infants put anything in their mouth. They put anything in their mouth. They put anything in any orifice that they have. If it'll fit, they'll shove it in. Katrina and I were there with Colson. He was, uh, he was just an only child at the time. And so we were there. And we, every night we would go in Colson's room and play. And, and he, he kept rubbing his nose. He was hurt. He was crying. We couldn't figure it out. So I had to hold him down. And he's kicking and screaming and everything. He had a piece of pepperoni shoved up into his sinus cavity almost, it seemed. Those square pepperonis that are on those little freezer pizzas that y'all buy? Beware, because they will find themselves in the nostril of a child. And we had to get a pair of tweezers or something and pull that thing out of there. But that's what a child does, right? What does a mature parent do? No, you try to get that out. You try to dig that out. You try to take it away from them. Is that not what we're supposed to do as a church? To equip the infants of the church so that we teach them and point them and guide them and direct them in the way that they're supposed to go? That's what we are supposed to do. Verse 2, 12 says, Equip the people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity. We all. Did y'all hear that? We all, that includes the pastor. We all grow in maturity. The point is, is that when maturity and unity is, is spoken of here, the pastor, the leaders, they are included. And for any of you that have been with me for any number of years, there's a few of you here that were, have been in, with me as long as I've been called into the ministry. You know that I've had to grow along the way. And I've had to grow along with the church. And this is the first church that I've ever pastored. I had no experience prior to that. At the age of uh, 22 or 3, somewhere in there, I started pastoring the church. I was very young, green behind the ears, no seminary training, no any of that stuff. All I had was just by the seat of the pants training. And so you just, you, you read the Bible. I was trained by reading the Bible and studying and, and taking, taking a few courses here and there. And that's, that's how I was training. Since then, I've gone on to uh, other education to learn other things. I, I have done that. But the church had to grow along with me. I had to grow along with the church. And these are things that I learned as, as, as I went along. And as a pastor, I haven't always done things correctly. I've made mistakes, but mistakes really are expected, aren't they? If any of us are, are honest, mistakes really are expected. But let's just be honest. Some of you haven't accepted the mistakes of pastors. A pastor messes up and you completely write him off. I just don't go to church. It's okay for you to mess up. But it's not okay for the pastor to mess up. But the script, Paul says that we all grow up in maturity. We all have to grow up. Now, I understand there's some things that just flat out shouldn't happen. and you know, a pat just shouldn't happen. But, 
But you have to understand that as we grow, we make mistakes, we mess up, all these types of things. But in order to reach maturity, you must first grow out of immaturity. And as a pastor, a teacher, evangelist, whatever he is, as he matures, the church matures with him. And as more and more truth is revealed to the pastor, more and more truth is revealed to the church. Because why? Because God is up here. The pastor is the conduit. And as he grows and learns, his conduit increases. The volume that he has to be able to push to you, it increases because his knowledge increases. Therefore, you're the one on the last, on the, on the outside or at the end of the conduit who receives the blessing. If you had just come through a desert and you were thirsty, dry mouth, and you wanted water, would you prefer a water hose that barely trinkled or one that was wide open? My point exactly. That's why you should be praying that your pastor's conduit is not kinked up. You have to pray for him, okay? So the fullness of the concept of equipping refers to restoring something to its original condition, trying to make it complete. In the context of the Scripture, what Paul is trying to say, the pastor's job is to lead Christians from sin to obedience. That's the pastor's job. Now, how can a pastor do such a thing? How can it be that someone could take such a responsibility and be so willing to sacrifice their life for the calling of God? I refer to the statement that I said earlier God doesn't always call the equipped, but He equips those that He calls. You see, there's pastors, teacher, evangelists. There's people that literally have committed themselves to the cause of equipping the church. And those who have done so, they have a burden for people. It's a desire for others to see a fault in the way that they live their life. And do you realize that when a pastor sees a fault that you have in your life, it's because they have first seen that fault in their own life. And they have realized what that fault looks like and how it affects you and how it affected them. And they're able to bring it to you and to show you what the Word of God teaches. You can't hear what your equipper's saying with your head turned back and looking at everybody else. You can't hear. And you're messing everybody else up that's behind you. Because you are kinking their conduit. We clear? I'm not wasting my time up here. We have to understand that God wants to provide for you. He wants to equip you with everything that you need. And if we are just spinning our wheels around here, if we're just wasting our time here, why do we come? Why do we keep coming? The pastor is someone who has this, this desire to see you grow from where you are into something bigger and better. He wants to see you come from the place of immaturity into a place of maturity. He wants you to come from a place to where you are not crawling, but that you are excelling in the Word. He wants you to be a person who is literally running the relay, running the race, and passing that baton off to someone else. You follow what I'm saying? And we can't do that if we're not allowing God to equip us with the Word. You see, the pastor is someone, whether you know it or not, he's not going to run away from the trials that comes. A pastor is not someone who's going to run away when the times come. In John chapter 10, actually the scriptures we were talking about just a while ago, Jesus called people like this hirelings. Hirelings. People that have been 
have been hired to, to just come in and, and take, take control and, and, and watch the sheep. Just watch the sheep. Have they invested anything into the flock? No, they're just a hireling. That's like a substitute teacher coming to, coming to school. Now, it's not a person who has literally put themselves in there and, and poured into that group. They're just coming in, kind of filling the day to make sure the kids don't kill each other. Right? That's, that's what they do. And so, not, not all of them, and I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm, they are not the one who has been there and, in, and investing the time. Jesus calls them hirelings. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus said. You go in John chapter 10, and you begin to read it, okay? You begin to read what's happening. John, Jesus says that these hirelings will come, and when the wolf starts coming for the flock, the hireling will run away. The hireling runs because he hasn't invested anything. The hireling accepts the praise whenever things are going well. But I promise you, he ducks and he dodges whenever trouble starts coming. He'll duck and he'll dodge and he'll run away because there, he has no responsibility. He just wants a paycheck. The pastor is going to be someone who grows in their experience of the Word. They will be someone who can teach in order to bring about deeper understanding of how you are to live your life according to the Word of God. A pastor is a decision maker. They are a manager of church affairs. He will be a leader. He will be a protector. He will be a watchful eye and maintain a care for your spiritual need as a church. It's not a task for just any old body. It's not a task for just any old body. Being a leader, a pastor of a church is a calling. It's an equipping of God. And if the pastor is not first equipped by God, there's no way he can equip you. It's a gift of God to the church. And I'm not putting in a, a, a shot for myself, but you know if God has given you a gift that you love and you appreciate, you should thank God for the gift that He's given you. And this church has done a fine job of that. Katrina and I are very blessed to be pastors here. To be able to lead and to direct and to do what we, what we do. Because we, we can't do what we do without people like you. And we're, we're overwhelmed many times by the generosity you guys give us. I really want you to turn here, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Because these are qualifications that... Paul laid out to Timothy for people who are going to be pastors in churches. He actually calls them bishops or elders, and the, and, and the, the, the words there just they coincide with each other. Uh, they, they basically mean overseers of the church, caretakers of the church. 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, This is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach. Faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable and able to teach. Not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own house well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family... How can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert. Or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders 
so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. This position is not a position that should be taken lightly, nor is it to be filled by a person simply because they want a job. Should never be. That's why I tell you, in, in many of the churches, there's lots of entrepreneurs. Many entrepreneurs, but very few people who are actually called. A church, as a church member, you, you should have trust in your pastor. Now, I don't recommend you holding a pastor in such a position that you consider him to be next to God or that he's never going to have a fault. However, I do believe that your pastor should have your trust and you should, you, he should be respected as a man of God who the Bible says watches for your soul. Hebrew 13 and 7 says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch for your soul. They keep watch over you. In other words, these pastors that I'm talking to you about, those who really love God and they love you, guys, they care. They literally care about you. Your pastor should be trusted. However, the facts don't lie because of the abuse of the position, the scandal of the church, and all the things that surround many men who have held the positions of pastors in the church. Many people no longer trust like they once did. For example, I was on a job one time before I became a full-time pastor, and uh, uh, my, my foreman there, he, he found out that finally that I was a pastor. And as many of you know, I don't just go around saying that I'm a pastor because people, all of it, they instantly change as soon as they find out that you're a pastor. They change and they are not themselves. And I don't want that. I want people to be themselves. And so I didn't tell this guy I was a pastor or anything like that. But when he found out that I was a pastor, he began to make snide remarks. He's like, so you have fun with the sisters up there, huh? And man, I wanted to punch him in the face. I got mad about that. Have fun with the sisters. Making snide remarks about things that should only be happening between a pastor and his wife. I'll let your mind wander. Some of the things he made remarks of shouldn't happen between his, the pastor and his wife. I found out later that his pastor slept with his wife. Did he have, an, did he have a reason to feel the way he felt? Yeah. He had a reason. How many nurses do we have in here? Anybody? Raise your hand if you are. Got some? Some studying to be a nurse? Nurses? You have the most trusted job in the world. People trust nurses more than they trust anyone else in the world. These are the jobs. Military officers are second. Grade school teachers are third. Medical doctors, pharmacists, police officers, judges, then clergy. Clergy, right ahead of bankers. <laughs> Newspaper reporters, local office holders, TV reporters, lawyers, businesses, lobbyists, business executives, lobbyists, you get the idea. People just simply do not trust pastors anymore. And with the scandals that have happened in the world today, I don't blame them. I don't blame them. So for those pastors who are listening today, we have a heck of a job to win back the trust of the world so that they can learn who Jesus Christ is again. Pastors serve the church on behalf of Christ. I'm getting ready to close, guys. Remember, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, they're God's conduit to funnel the blessings of God to the church. 
But what you as a church and, and pastors across this world should never forget, the leaders of the church have to give an account to Jesus Christ for what they do, for what they teach, and for what they preach. This alone is enough to make me shake to my very core. Because the doctrines that I teach, the methods that I take, the leadership that I offer, me as taking a role as being an equipper of the church, I am going to be judged by God by that. That's why I say, that's why I say hard things. That's why I'm not going to back up from things just because your feelings are going to get hurt. That's why I stand before you week after week and I preach the Word of God to you. Because my responsibility as a pastor, you need to understand, my responsibility is to God first. And I would be skeptical if I had a pastor who was more worried about what people thought than he was concerned about what God thought. And if you think that of me, do not come back to this church. When you see a pastor who is bending and swaying at the wind of every voice that comes to him from the church, just because he's trying to make people happy, you need to understand the leadership of that church is, is in, in, in dire straits. Because a pastor cannot listen to every wind and doctrine and, and the, the opinion of every person that comes to the church because every person's not right. And we can't continue to bend like that. You are under the leadership of someone who's trying to please people rather than God if that is what your pastor looks like. In closing, as our musicians come, it may seem a little strange, basically, guys, that, that, I'm, that I'm talking to you about equipping the church, but I'm talking to you about my role as a pastor. I'm sitting here as a pastor giving you a pamphlet to check to check off and say, hey, is is this who he is? Is this who he is? Could he help himself here and grow a little bit here? And all those different things. You have to be able to go back and look over all the words of this message, hold them up beside my life and see if you really want me to be your pastor. Am I fulfilling the calling on my life as the equipper of New Life Church? This information is important for you to know because someone that just preaches at a church, that doesn't mean that they've been called to be a pastor. There's a passion that burns in the heart of a pastor. It's a passion to grow the kingdom of God through the care that he offers to the church. There are many, many things that I've gotten wrong in my life and in my ministry. Many things that I wish I could go back and do again. In the business meeting of January 2004, we were without a pastor. I had been filling in as an interim. Brother Benny Lemery was helping us. And two weeks he would preach, two weeks I would preach. And we were just trying to stay afloat as a church. January 2004, the last Wednesday night of the month, they're talking about a pastor. We need a pastor. We need a pastor. Jody Musgrove stood up in that meeting. Our youth leader, Jody Musgrove. She stood up in that meeting. And she said, I don't know why we keep looking for a pastor when God's already given us one. And all those, all those people who were, you know, deacons, trustees. They said the famous old cop-out. It's just a cop-out. Well, we need to pray about it. That's just a cop-out. We've been praying about it for eight years. We were without a pastor for eight years. Boy. And I'll never forget what you did, Jody. 
She slammed her hand down on the back of a pew and she said, I'm sick of praying. I'm sick of praying. God's already given us a pastor and it's Joey. And we need to vote tonight. I don't, you know, some of you might think that, well, that woman shouldn't have been talking in the church house. You know, get over that just for a moment. Because there wasn't a man in the church that was willing to stand up and say it. And she stood up and she said that. And she said, we need to vote tonight to have a pastor. And it was 100% unanimous. The first year, the first year, 32 people come to know Jesus. That was nothing but God's confirmation on the ministry. We, had to out, we outgrew that little church. And today, we're here, have expanded four times, trying to keep it to where we can grow and people can come in here. July the 3rd, 2004, I was ordained as a pastor. And this coming January, I'll have been pastoring this church for 15 years. Because God called me. Not because, not because Jody slammed her hand down and said, we need a pastor now. We need our pastor. We need to give him the title and all that kind of stuff, whatever comes along with it. We need, we need a pastor but because God called and because there was somebody that answered. Here we are today. So today, I want you to know that I've not always gotten it right. And you need to know that tomorrow I'm liable to mess it up again. But there's one thing that I got right. And that was when I said yes. When I said yes, I've questioned a lot of things in my life, but there's two things that I have never, ever questioned. The love of my life, my wife. I have never questioned her devotion and her loyalty to me. I have never questioned that there is another woman out there that I missed because I'm with Katrina. She fulfills me in every way that God ever intended on me to be fulfilled. I never question that. The second thing that I question, have not questioned is that am I supposed to be a pastor? I know. I know that God called me to pastor. And as long as God says for me to pastor New Life Church, this is what I want you to know. You don't have to worry about me going anywhere. I'm going to be right here because Bastrop's my home. This is where I belong. Until the day I die, or until God moves me, I'll be preaching right here. So if you want longevity, if you want somebody who's committed, if you want somebody who's willing to love you, if you want somebody who's willing to be your pastor, well, y'all don't have to stand up. But if if y'all want that, I'm willing to be that. And I want to be that, okay? I do want to be that. I love that. I love the fact that God called me and the highlights, y'all, y'all sit down. Y'all going to get tired. I might keep preaching. But the highlight of my week, guys, I have to be honest with you. Next, every, every week, my wife and I and my two kids pile up in our bed and we watch TV. That's how we spend our weekend. All right? And we'll, we'll lay there and we might watch two, three movies. Who knows? Sometimes we don't get to watch a movie. That's one highlight of my week. But guys, being right here preaching to you, it's a highlight of my week. Because I love sharing with you what God has shared with me. 
And as long as He's willing to let me be a conduit to teach you the Word of God, I want to be it. I told you I was closing. There's two things I want to tell you before I close. I love being your pastor. There's been a many a night that I've cried. There's been a many a night that I've wondered, am I heading in the right direction? There's even been times when I felt like I needed to back away because I was just about burnt out and couldn't keep going. I never claimed to be perfect. But as long as you'll have me as your pastor, I promise you that I'll admit to you when I'm wrong. And I'll learn from it. And as long as you're willing to have me as your pastor, I'm honored to be your pastor. Some of you here, you don't even know what a pastor is. You think that people just stand up and preach and they just sit back and get fat off the church. I'm not that guy. And God knows my heart and I'm not, I'm not that guy. However, if you choose to make new life your home, and I'm your pastor, there's a few things that you need to know. I will only preach God's Word, alright? Because I know that preaching anything else will not equip you for eternity. Do I have it all right? No, I don't. I'm learning. But God's the best teacher there is. You need to understand that I'm going to say things that offend you. I'm going to get on to you in the middle of church service. Because I'm not here to waste my time and I'm not here to waste yours. You need to know that I'm going to say things that will hurt your feelings. You need to know that there are going to be people who leave the church because of me. But if they leave God's church, this is what you need to know. John said they never were a part of us anyway. And just because they walk away doesn't mean that you did wrong or I did wrong. But they may have never known Christ in the first place. They may have just been hanging out. And then when the going got tough and the rubber finally met the road, They said, this is a hard saying. Didn't Jesus' disciples say, this is a hard saying? Disciple didn't mean that they were saved. It meant that they were following Jesus. So this is a hard saying. We can't take it. And the Bible says that they left never to follow Jesus again. Just understand that there will be people that come and go. Some have come and some have gone. But our calling into salvation, friends, is so important. And that's what I want to say to you lastly. And I want every one of you to listen to what I'm fixing to ask you. Why are you allowing the world to kink your conduit? Why are you allowing the world to kink you up? Why are you allowing the world to keep you from being a blessing to so many people around you? Uh, A conduit allows things to flow. And if you ignore God's call on your life, you're hindering God from blessing people around you. Some of you have already accepted salvation. You've accepted God's call on your life. And you are right there. But why are you not answering the call to come in a little deeper? Why are you afraid? 
What are you scared of? The church that I'm a part of has been known to grow pastors. This is the church I grew up in. And I'm pastoring the church I was raised in. Brother John was my pastor. Brother John deserves my respect because he was God's gift to me. And had he not preached, where would I be? One day some of you are going to look back and you're going to say, you know what, I'm glad Brother Joy said that to me. I'm glad Brother Joy was willing to do the hard things. I'm glad Brother Joy was willing to admit he was wrong. I'm glad he was willing to stand up when he knew he was right. One day you're going to appreciate that. And one day there's going to be another young man standing here who answered the call of God on his life because there was a conduit willing to pour into him. Our calling into salvation, it does not allow us to be idle. So if you're hearing God's call on your life today, don't stay where you are. Don't stay there. Answer the call. And let Him take you to that next place where He wants you. Let's pray. God, today, my heart's filled up, Lord. I just want to stay under the faucet with my cup. And I just want you to keep pouring into me so, God, I can overflow into the lives of other people. Like I said, I know I haven't gotten it all right. But, Lord, I've not gotten it all wrong either. Because the day I answered that call, I have seen nothing but blessing come. And I want to thank you for a church that loves their pastor. I want to thank you for a group of people who are willing to stand for truth. Even sometimes when we don't understand it all. We don't always understand it all. But God, I love hearing from you because you understand it all. You are so... You're so smart. It just amazes me sometimes. And Lord, there's people that you're calling to go deeper with you. And you're asking them right now. You're saying, well, are you going to turn loose of this? Are you going to turn loose of that? So that I can take you deeper? And Lord, I pray today that they'd be willing to turn loose of it. So that they can go deeper with you. So that their conduit would not be kinked so that they could pour blessings out on other people. Let them today, let them be the gift that you want to give to the church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If God's calling you right now, get up out of your seat and come to an altar. If He's calling you now, stay where you are and answer Him. But if He's calling you, don't ignore Him. But if you'd like to be prayed with, there are people waiting right now to pray with you here. Let's stand.